Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the Bantu Collective podcast. My name is Sharon and I'm your host. Firstly, I'd like to wish everyone a happy, happy new year. What better way to begin the year with a brand new episode? An episode that was to be released a few months back, but only made its way out the womb in this first week of 2020. And so it is only my pleasure to be back. And this time around, I'm back with a friend of mine, Dennis Aguma. Dennis is someone I've come to know in the last two years through various associations. And we caught up some time ago in the summer of 2019 in Uganda. And I knew I wanted to feature him on this podcast to unearth what I knew would be a really fun and interesting conversation. So I invited Dennis to record an episode with me, this time recording in his beautiful family home in Kampala. And in today's episode, we touch base on the Ugandan startup scene and the current entrepreneurial ecosystem and how it relates to the fourth industrial revolution. We talk eco-villages and last but most definitely not least, a topic you couldn't pay me enough to talk about and that is abundance consciousness. So without further ado, let's get right in there. Welcome everyone to the second episode of the Bantu Collective podcast and I'm here today with Dennis Aguma. We're in Kampala, Uganda and Dennis has had quite a busy stay for the last six weeks. Yep. Six weeks. Whole okay. month. Yeah. Perfect. And um, Dennis, if you could tell us a bit about um, your, your, your upbringing or who you are actually before we go there, who you mm. are, what you're currently doing. And what's your stay in Uganda at the moment about? Uh, good question. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, about me, where do I start? Because I have my hands in very many pies, as it were. Sure. I'm a student. I'm doing a PhD in entrepreneurship. Excellent. I'm a visiting lecturer, so I lecture at Birmingham City University as well, uh, as well as other few other universities. Like yesterday, I was doing a guest lecture at Makerere with MBA students. Oh, yes. I'm a business incubation manager. I help startups uh, to uh, articulate better their value propositions and scale. Uh, I do that both in the UK and here in Uganda through my social enterprise called the National Association of Student Enterprises which runs events such as the LIB conference which you attended where we had over 1,000 students from a number of universities but mainly Makerere University yeah. uh, being inspired about this whole world of enterprise and entrepreneurship. So that's what I do. My, that's my life in a nutshell. Wow. Mm. Okay. So that's a list of accolades you've mm. come to achieve. And I'm guessing your whole trip with Uganda this time round was mainly engaged in that space. Uh, yes, I was juggling lots of things. So part of my PhD is looking at entrepreneurship ecosystems, both in the UK and in Uganda. Sure. And try and see how, if there are any differences in terms of those ecosystems and how those impact entrepreneurship education. So part of my research is based at Makerere University Business School and Makerere University. And I was running a pilot study during this month. So that's one thing. Ah, I see. While I'm doing that, I'm right. also running the LEAP conference. Yes. Which, as I mentioned earlier, you have lots of students from a number of universities, again, focusing on that. But I've also had quite a few guest appearances. I was a guest um, with the Lottery Club of Bukoto, where I was sharing some of my thoughts around business incubation, 
Uh, I was doing guest lectures like at Macquarie University. I did participate with uh, helping Dr. Ngatajize, who's setting up a leadership academy in Kabale. So I've really been involved in a number of things here and there. So I tend to make the, the most of my time away. So it's both work and pleasure. But this time, it's really been more work. Like 80% has been work sure. than pleasure. But you've enjoyed it? I have, yeah. It's been a... Who would not enjoy Uganda, you know? Trust it's, me, uh, I know, right? It's absolutely Uganda is an, an, an enjoyable place. Very, very. Um, and so, obviously, there's a whole purpose to why you're um, engaging in the enterprise ecosystem of Uganda. Yeah. So you're present in, Kab- in Kampala and Kavale. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the meat of that, because I find the I find the enterprise world fascinating. Yeah. Especially seeing as where the world is going and where Uganda um, fits in that ecosystem. Yeah. 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 Um, tell us about your uh, cultural upbringing. My cultural upbringing is I'm a very proud Muchiga from Kavale. Hey. Uh, I am aware that you visited Kavale, which is called the Switzerland of Uganda. Really? Arguably the most beautiful place in Uganda, but other people have their thoughts about it. But No, I can attest to that. The cover is really <laughs> very beautiful. The hills, the valleys, the lakes, the birds, the, the vegetation, the mountain gorillas. I could go on and on and on. So growing up as a child, we did not have an appreciation of what we had because that was it, you know, if you went to Lake Bunyonyi, you had to hike, you know, walk all the way up. You'd go through all those bushes, all the forests. Um, would go camping, would go canoeing on the lake. Um, so we took a number of those experiences for granted until we moved then to the city. Okay. So actually, when you say the city, you mean Kampala? Kampala, yes. Right. Actually, to rewind, okay. I was actually born in uh, Virika Hospital in Fort Porto. Oh. Uh, my mother was working there at the time. Okay. But I don't remember that, obviously. It was too small. Sure. Uh, and then she moved to Mbarara, mm-hmm. which is another district. Yeah. And then during the war, around 1986, right. uh, we had to flee back to Kabale. Okay. And she got transferred to Kabale. So I went to Kabale schools. But after the war, we came back to Mbarara district. So I went to Mbarara Municipal School. I went to Mbarara High School, which okay. is one of the best secondary schools, I would argue, hey, in Barara. Right. Uh, it's one of those uh, government-aided schools that was started by the Church okay. of England. So the school is grounded in terms of uh, behaviors and attitudes, but it's also one of the best in terms of academic performance as well. Mm-hmm. So still is? It's still, uh, things have changed slightly because okay. the competition is high. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually working with a number of my old boys uh, from the same school mm-hmm. to kind of influence what's happening at the school. Okay. So like recently when I was going to Kabale, I passed by the school um, and a few of my friends in the UK got together and decided to do something about the school. So we're going to give them like a table tennis equipment for every house. Because wow. um, one of the things we're looking into is the significance of extracurricular activities. Sure. So while I was at Mara High School, I was involved in quite a number of them. Okay. But notable amongst them all was the drama club. So I was a member of the drama club. Okay. I then went on to become the chairman of the drama club. Okay. I wrote a couple of plays when I was in the secondary school. Wow. And what haven't them, you done, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my plays got performed by the school in about six other schools. So I'm... And also part of my research is looking at uh, extracurricular activities and how they help develop entrepreneurial skills. Okay. So, 
um, when you're talking about my upbringing, culture, or otherwise, it's quite a detailed story. And finally, from Barara High School, then I end up in the city in Kampala, uh, initially to do business studies at Makere University Business School. Uh, then when I finished that, I joined the Auditor General's Office here in Uganda. Uh, but by that time, I was doing other courses like uh, SCCA, which is Chest Accounting, uh, which I didn't quite enjoy, but because I was in the Auditor General's Office, I had to... Um, that was the next career move, really, just to uh, upgrade your academic credentials, and chartered accounting was the route everyone was taking. Mm. Um, so I decided, why don't I um, get in, engaged in all, in, in other things, try to explore. So somehow, that exploration of being engaged in other things landed me in the UK. Okay. And while in the UK, I experimented with the pensions industry. I was there for like nine years working in the city in London. Okay. Uh, juggling pension schemes, but I wasn't enjoying it as much. So I decided I'm going to pack this. I'll go back to academia. And while I'm there, the rest is history because I stumbled on this world of enterprise and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Kingston University and um, Kingston University starts more student businesses than any other university in the UK in terms of numbers. Okay. So there's a very interesting, uh, bubbly ecosystem of student entrepreneurship. And for the first time I found myself, you know, I was alive, so to speak. I ended up becoming the president of the society, entrepreneurship society. Um, that got me opportunities to influence what was happening within that space. I managed to convince the dean to give us space for entrepreneurial students. I ended up setting the setting up the university's business incubator and running it for like two years. So I had a test wow. of what was happening, what was possible. So everything was almost kind of uh, you're building it as it's unfolding. Yes. Okay. Where I've ended, it's been one step. You know, you you, you climb one ladder. Yes. And then you you get a better view. Like, oh, actually, that's there's something better on the other. So you keep climbing up. You right. keep climbing up. So. Yeah. I never set out to be in the world of enterprise and entrepreneurship. Okay, so it kind of found you, you found it. Yes, I think Kingston helped to ignite my passion. Wow. And once you find what you're passionate about, yeah. the next steps, however hard they might appear, yeah. become easier because for you it's not work, you're just flowing, yes. you get into a flow. Exactly. So I've been in that flow which led me to set up my social enterprise in Uganda, mm-hmm. which runs all these conferences I'm talking about. Yes. I'm been in that flow which opens up all these opportunities to work with business incubators here in the UK. So it's a flow and I'm enjoying it. And and what is it about enterprise that you think kind of sparked and ignited that flow or passion uh, I think, within you? Yeah, I think it's a combination of my character and personality. Okay. And going back to, I can trace it now back to when I was in Barai school, being engaged in things like drama, being you know a people person so those networks those connections okay. the business with which you get along with other people uh, but if you combine that with my background in business studies and accounting and auditing you get the mix in the middle which is like enterprise and entrepreneurship i think okay but one of the other things i'm quite creative i like to see ideas emerge i like to see things develop and evolve so from a business point of view particularly with startups that's exactly what's happening when you're working with yes. people who just have an idea and just to see that progress uh, I found it 
more rewarding. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And um, incubation is your thing. And mm-hmm. in, in one of the talks, uh, the presentation that you presented at the Bokoto Rotary Club, yeah, you mentioned that we need sort of to be able to build structures that allow mm. for businesses to to emerge in Uganda mm. Mm. or, for example, within the startup scene. Yeah. Uh, where do incubations play a role in that and why, inc- why are incubations so important to you? Yeah. Um, incubation... Uh, business incubators are a key part of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. So Uganda, for instance, is the most entrepreneurial country in the world. Yes, you heard that right. Please say that again. Uh huh. <laughs> Uganda is the most entrepreneurial country in the world. Hey, we love According that. to research by the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor. So this research monitors um, people who are actually engaged in early entrepreneurial activity. So okay. the total entrepreneurial activity in Uganda is very high. Mm-hmm. Lots of people, granted out of necessity because of lack of jobs, end up being entrepreneurial because they have to survive. That's right. The challenge is that that type of entrepreneurship is, I wouldn't say the wrong type of entrepreneurship. It's not the same as opportunity entrepreneurship. Because if you go back to like Silicon Valley, what's happening there is opportunity entrepreneurship. People are scanning the market looking at the opportunity and disrupting an industry and getting lots of funding to do that. Right. So they're able to scale. But the way they're able to do that, uh, you have lots of uh, incubation hubs. You have like uh, tech cities. Like imagine a whole city with everyone in the city, the government and everyone focused. Plugged into. Plugged into yeah. growing this pie, supporting all these startups. Right. And that has been lacking in Uganda. Yeah. Um, and incubation is one way to start. Okay. Uh, albeit like at a university. So I'm, work, I'm doing some work with Makerere Innovation and Incubation Center. So using that to support like students mm-hmm. uh, and graduates and even people within the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. The same with Makerere uh, Entrepreneurship Center uh, or the Innovation Village for that matter. So the incubation centers provide like the engine around which all these other discussions, all these other business ideas kind of congregate. Uh, people who have the money to invest in startups, they know where the startups are. Someone who has an idea, he knows how where to go and if he needs a mentor. So it's like a magnet. Mm. And the more of these magnets you have, I think gradually, particularly if the magnets become stronger eventually with more people coming in, more money uh, being injected into these startups through the incubation, then hopefully we can begin to grow an ecosystem around that. So incubation is very important. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you see a trend towards the increase of incubations? And I know you, you, you mainly speak of uh, the experience in Uganda right now. Yeah. Can you say that this is kind of widespread across the continent in general? Yes and Or no. is that too simplified a statement? A lot of this has to do with government policy. Okay. And I am aware, for instance, that countries like Rwanda are deliberate about mm. making their country entrepreneurial. Yeah. They're not, I would argue, as blessed in terms of entrepreneurship yeah. as Ugandans are. Mm-hmm. But from a policy point of view, they're miles ahead. Yeah, it's true. Uh-huh. I, I came across, I don't know what it was, but I heard, uh, I think it was an interview where a business mogul mm. almost explained that Rwanda actually has the easiest ease for starting a business. Correct. And they were deliberate about it. Right. Um, but in Uganda, we still have, I wouldn't say laxity, 
but um, there's room for improvement, okay. for lack of a better word. Okay. Um, and in terms of everything happening on the continent, I wouldn't say that's the case. Okay. There are pockets where this is happening. Mm-hmm. Kenya, Nairobi in particular, absolutely fantastic. They are miles ahead of yes. us. Uh, if you go to South Africa, they've been at it for ages. Um, but if you go to like Democratic Republic of Congo, partly because of the challenges of the politics, you have challenges there. If you go to Burundi, they are struggling. If you go to South Sudan, and most of those, it's to do with conflict. You know, Somalia, I could go on. Yeah. But if you go on West Africa and you go to Nigeria and Ghana, things are bubbling away in that space. So there is a lot of, uh, and with people like uh, Tone, Elmelu, and uh, a few other entrepreneurs on the African continent, enterprise and entrepreneurship is beginning to appear as a credible solution to Africa's challenges rather than waiting for the West to give us donations or handouts or to open their doors for us to sell our products. There is a big market here on the African continent. But if we were entrepreneurial amongst ourselves, that market is big enough. You don't need to hustle with everyone else. They can always come and join the party. Agreed. But there is enough to work with in terms of creating this party that we're talking about of enterprise and entrepreneurship. Okay. Mm. And so... Where you mentioned that a lot of it can be, you said, you can argue that the political challenges, the policies are what are holding us back. Mm. On a positive note, what is working for startups, for example, or businesses in Uganda? What is, uh, yeah, what does work? Uh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> a number of things work. Okay. And it depends on which startup. So if you have your startup dealing with young people, mm-hmm. you're in the, the timing could not be any better. Uganda is one of the youngest populations in the whole world. Yeah. So if your product, for instance, deals with uh, technology, the uptake of technology is, um, is much easier with young people than it is with uh, pensioners, so to speak. So there are structural advantages that Uganda has over other places. Um, I, I wouldn't credit the government for that because you know it, the population is what it is. Mm-hmm. However, the things that are working, um, when when I started bubbling on about this thing of entrepreneurship about five, you know five six years ago, we there wasn't a lot of discussion about it, but I can say hand on heart, and I'm impressed with the government on this one, that the message has been loud and clear that they need to focus on entrepreneurship. They need to do something about entrepreneurship as a tool to support these young people because our unemployment rates are ridiculous. You're talking like 80% yeah. unemployment for young people. Yeah. It's just unacceptable. Yeah. Particularly for... Actually, I, I would argue that it's, um, it has a, it's a security threat when you have lots of young people, particularly boys, idle, doing nothing. Um, so, But government is doing something about it. There is money that I know is available through the Ministry of ICT support startups um, but it has to be channeled through incubators now I understand because such as like for example so there is something called NISP I think it's called okay where a number of startups have received seed funding right. from the government so okay. you rarely get this happening you know grants properly like a hundred million shillings to a particular startup so that the startups can begin to wow. to to so there is they are throwing money at it, mm-hmm. uh, but back to the discussion I had at um, with the Rotary Club of Bukoto, we are missing the connections of the dots. 
I wanted to get into that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, we 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 lack like an ecosystem approach. Yeah. Where someone like government is giving these guys money, so the first round they gave lots of startups money, and I think some of them disappeared or whatever. No one knew what was happening, but now they have realized you have business incubators. Why don't you give these guys the money? but also engage the business incubators to support these startups to scale. What's, what's the point of giving them money and not giving them the other structural support? Because that's as important as the money. Often the money is just really secondary. Most of these guys don't have a clue on how to embark on the challenges that they're trying to solve. And within a business incubator, you have, uh, you have the skills, you have the expertise for that to happen. So yes, efforts are happening, but it's a learning curve. And I wouldn't be so unfair to this government as to say that they should be doing what the U.S. has been doing for, you know, 50 years or what Tel Aviv or London have been doing. So these guys in the West have been at it for ages. Um, so there are lessons to be learned. But then we also need to have our own solutions that are organic. Um, and unique to the African environment. Correct. To yeah. the challenges that we're dealing exactly. with. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in one of your presentations that I attended, I really, well, I'm, I happen to be really passionate about this, and I think mm. so are you. Uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Yes. So we're mm. headed into a very technological future. Correct. We already are, some could say. Um, I have a number of questions for you. So mm. first we'll touch on the fact that you me you've mentioned that our university students, the, the content that they're being provided through these academic institutes doesn't necessarily match this skill set that is required for the future that we're headed towards. Mm. Could you talk, talk to us about that? Yeah, there is a, there's a lot of research on this actually. Um, there is a huge skills mismatch between a student who graduates today hoping to do, um, let's say, marketing, uh, but in business school they will use case studies to teach you marketing. So they will say, this is what Apple did, uh, what do you think? You know, you're talking about the past, sure. but it's hard to replicate or to create a future in class that this guy is going to be working in. And sometimes some of these startups, you could be in business school and you get a business idea through the business incubator, you are creating the future. Mm. And often, no one prepares you, particularly for businesses that are starting. Academia uh, does not necessarily predict the future and teach you for a future. Mm. No, they teach you based on what's around us. So this is what has happened in the past. This is where we are. But if you look at like the jobs of the future, like now, um, I remember at Anglia Ruskin University, we had like a, a social media officer, you know, someone just to sit and monitor Twitter, Facebook. Those Instagram, jobs were Snapchat. not Snapchat. Yes, exactly. No, those jobs weren't there, yeah. uh, you know, some time ago. Mm. So the guys who started marketing then, you know, five years ago, could not have probably weren't focusing on it as much. Right. Right now, the guys that are studying marketing might be using some of those tools. Yes. But I guarantee you the pace at which technology is changing in five years' time, mm. that landscape will be different. So this is what I find like such an exciting space for Africans in general. Mm. Because the world is moving ahead technologically. We are in many ways still catching up, mm. but we're also creating our own innovations. Yes. 
What do you say to those who are creating that new space mm. where the par- paradigms haven't yet been um, established? Mm-hmm. So there are no rules with, within which to play. Yeah. You're kind of creating your own. Yeah. Um, and you don't really know what you can invite in as an opportunity, what's mm. going to work for you. Mm. What do you say to those guys in that exact space? The thing with the fourth industrial revolution, if you look at the first industrial revolution, mm. Africa was not a part of it. We were still here grazing cattle, doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Second industrial revolution, we weren't a part of it at all. Yeah. Even the third industrial revolution, we were just takers of that technology. Right. You know, IBM would bring the machine as big as this room for the Central Bank of Uganda, you know. So we were just buyers. We were not participants. But right now with the internet and the state of play in terms of technology that is available, for the first time, Africa is also part of this discussion. Mm. So Africa is, uh, if you look at what's been happening with things like mobile money here in Africa, yeah, unique solutions to unique challenges. And it's booming. And it's booming. Yeah. It's booming. You know, a company like MTN mm. moves more money than all the banks combined in a day, you know? Yeah. It's big. Yes. So... This chaos that is bubbling away mm. because the tools, uh, technology is an, it's an enabler and it evens out things. Okay. And I think for Africa, the opportunities could not be any better to play a big part in the industrial revolution. As long as we don't keep following what Facebook is doing, what Google is doing, what Amazon is doing, you can learn a few things from there. But the idea is to maybe use like one of my favorite tools, design thinking, to come up with solutions for local problems and challenges because the technology is now available. And if we do that, and we do it well enough, you might find that the next version of an Amazon type of business are as big as that could emerge from this continent, albeit that it will be focused mainly on solving the problems here. But before you know it, what the solution does is also applicable to other places. So... You have the Amazons in the West. You have Alibaba in China. There's no reason why we can't keep, you know, you have Chumia maybe here in Africa. But the technology is now available for Africa to stop complaining and be part of this movement to create our own solutions. And who knows? I think the race is on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I <laughs> I have the same outlook on this. Yeah. And... Um, Sometimes I fear that I'll be viewed as an, an optimist, a naive optimist. Mm. And the people out there who call, them, who call themselves realists, mm. I call them pessimists. Agreed. Um, <laughs> um, if you are looking to innovate, you initially are rewriting the direction of humanity. Mm. And I agree with you in that we can't look to see what's worked in the West and adopt this copy and paste culture mm. to then, you know, somehow make it work in Africa. Because mm. Africans, Africa's uh, problems are unique to our environment, Correct. the culture, the, the politics, people, ev- everything, yeah. absolutely everything. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Yeah, just to, to supplement on that, the pessimists do not understand where... So, we always argue in entrepreneurship that uh, where you see problems, where you see chaos, where you see challenges, those mm. are u- unique opportunities for you to innovate, exactly. to start something. Exactly. And which is the most chaotic place? Mm-hmm. 
it's down here in africa so there's lots of opportunities plenty i yeah. mean you you can drive down for half an hour and you're bombarded with problems 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 i mean today we're traveling we're driving with my son you did you hear the number of questions he kept asking yeah yeah he just yeah. keeps asking so for each one of those questions it's a solution literally it's a, a business. business it's a business Co- it's a- <laughs> exactly yeah. um and so um this podcast is meant to speak to the the guys in the diaspora but also the africans on in africa yeah um how can we then begin to adopt such a mindset um or what would you say to the guys in the diaspora who are like okay do you know what i'm actually looking to start something on ground uh on the continent um maybe not necessarily reinvent the wheel mm. but create something within the ecosystem that um almost like that allows mm. for something to perpetuate mm-hmm. um whether it's still in agriculture because yeah. agriculture is huge on the continent yeah and i think in uganda it's about 80 to 70 to 80% of e- the people's economy or income. Yeah. Um what do you say to those guys? Um So I know a number of people that have made the move from the diaspora yes. back home. Yes. Yes. If you make mistakes of saying ah Dennis Aguma has gone and he's made it now I should also go. I think I also make it. I think you need to look at yourself your unique circumstances your unique skills where your passion is you cannot pour from an empty cup so if you've just recently moved to europe and you're still doing a cheo as we call it what's um, that oh <laughs> uh, you have to explain to uh-huh. those <laughs> a cheo is uh, manual jobs and things like that um maybe your drive might be different your drive might be survival mm. might be paying bills and so on and so forth But if you've been um even if you've done that and maybe you've made some progress and you have some skills that you think are transferable and you're passionate about that space you'll be having a competitive advantage over most of the guys here because you've been exposed uh, in terms of best practice you you know how you know how how things should be done mm. and Africa is growing a decent middle class that are prepared and have the resources to pay for that. So whatever area you're in, you can do it here as well, but you need to have a discussion with yourself and say, can I make this move? What do I bring on board? And if you find that maybe the skills are not there yet, then invest in yourself. If it means go going back to university, by all means do it because like education in the UK is not very, you know, you can get loans and all sorts of things those opportunities are there uh go and work in if you want to start a bakery let's say you've been baking at home and you think you can actually make a good bakery within your village go and work in in a proper bakery shop or you know whether it's at Sainsbury's just do it get all that experience so the idea is that you bring something to the african continent do you have transferable skills do you have the experience do you have the resources Um I always tend to find that some of the guys that succeed here are the ones who go with only plan A which really? is yes because most people come here when they have plan B that if these things don't work out I'll go back and with that mindset they come here they try a few things and they don't happen and then they go back okay 
but a number of guys who have been deported mm-hmm. you'll be surprised how successful they've been because they come with just this is it it has to work so that drive uh is only you knows that drive okay but find an area that you're you're passionate about as long as you have the skills and experience in it and you don't need a huge amount of investment you can start small grow big but network keep having discussions with different people even in the uk mm. you know we have things like the uganda uk convention you don't know who you're going to meet. I've met very many friends in that space. When you come to Uganda, for instance, don't just go on holiday. Do what I do, for instance. I come, I'm doing my research, I'm doing all these conferences. In the meantime, <clears throat> I'm meeting uh, heads of departments at different universities, vice chancellors, I'm meeting people from business incubation centers, I'm meeting government officials. Um, I have lots of engagements, so I make the most of the trip. So use those opportunities to enrich your experience, to inform your decision, to test some of your ideas. You might come and test them and see what, what's the market like before you go back. So have a number of those and then eventually, once you're comfortable, you can do the jump. Right. Mm. Okay. And, you know, the reason I brought that up is because I am seeing a growing trend, especially in the people within my age bracket, mm. millennials and above, mm. uh, who are kind of keen to go back to Africa, mm. either invest, maybe not stay there fully, mm. have one foot here and then, well, yeah, one have one foot here and have one foot back in the West, mm. but still be contributing towards an economy over there. Yeah. So for me, that's such an exciting part. Mm. And if this is happening now, I'm very excited to see where we're headed, mm. you know, 10 years from now. I mean, I've been doing exactly that. Okay. I've been, when I set up the Association of Student Enterprises, um, I did that five years ago. Right. And I've been having one foot here and one foot in the UK. So the activities I used to do when we started were few and far between. But now I have more engagements um, and I'm building a brand around entrepreneurship within higher education institutions that universities that have engaged with us know who we are, what, what we do, what we stand for. So, um, testing the waters, as it were, is a good way of doing it. Because for millennials and younger people who were not born here, mm. uh, or even those who left when they were young and they don't have, uh, they, they, they don't have a frequency modulation in terms of tuning with what's happening on the African continent, you can't just make the jump. No. You need to have testers. You need to come, you know, after maybe four or five holidays, uh, initially starting with family, but then growing your network. Uh, outside of your family environment because your family may not be in your space but you need to start making those connections so a dual strategy uh, or a phased return strategy might be the best way to go about it amazing i love mm. that makes me very excited mm. are you planning to come yourself um that's the plan definitely definitely okay. have one foot there have one foot here yes and see where the future needs me. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, you don't have to actually come. Some people can still have influence on the continent without necessarily being physically here. Exactly. True. You might True. need to be coming every now and again. True. But maybe you don't want to leave your six-figure job in the UK. The comfort. To do this. Yes. Yeah. The comfort of the West. Yes, yeah. Yes. So you mentioned earlier problems offer a commercial value, especially yeah. in a place like Africa. And uh, when we visited the, I don't know what we call it, the Community Development Project, you could also call it the Leadership Academy in, in Kabale. Oh, okay, yes. You are offering a very exciting, interesting project. Mm. Can you please tell us about that? Because, yeah, I'm very <laughs> excited about that. That wasn't my project. It was Dr. Ngatajise's project. 
but Dr. Ngatajize has been mentoring some of us for a while, so I figured it's, it's only sensible that I give him a hand when he set about setting up this academy. Okay. So he is looking at, um, and you mentioned some of this earlier, about the mindset. Yes. Um, and villagers have a different mindset. Well, tell us about the project first, and okay. then, we'll, then we'll dig into that, because I can't wait for that bit. But that's, that's leading up into it. Okay. Because the, most of the challenges that the people in the village face, if they had a different mindset, mm-hmm. maybe they would have figured out some of the solutions, um, and, their lives, and their lives could be better. Uh, let me explain. You talked about agriculture with most of our people being engaged in agriculture, but it's subsistence agriculture. It's not commercial agriculture. But that's all they've known. These guys have always done subsistence agriculture. No one has ever organized them. We used to have like cooperatives and things like that, but the typical African farmer is not a commercial uh, farmer in that sense. They are typically, particularly in Kabale, you have small plots of land, may be passed down from family to family over generations, so every generation kind of uh, splits the, the land. So land fragmentation is real. And with a small piece of land, you can't do much commercial farming. Mm. And then you also have the terrain of the land, as you saw, you know, mountains. It's not a typical place where you'd have, you know, combined harvesters and that kind of stuff. So that also dictates on what you can do with the land. But collectively, collectively, all of them, if they decided to do commercial farming, instead of me growing my beans and there's a hotel which needs constant supply of beans or milk, but I only have one cow. But if 100,000 people in the village have 100,000 cows, then we can afford to provide milk for this big hotel. You get my point? Mm. So that mindset, getting all these guys to tune into that same way of thinking, to appreciate the value that collectively they are better off than as opposed to individually. That's where the leadership academy comes in. The idea that uh, using uh, tools and techniques and things typically reserved for skilling university students or even corporate people, uh, like something to do with like a positive mindset, a can-do mindset. Because often when you're telling people in the village, they're like, uh, they're kind of resigned, you know. Uh, we are poor, it's the government's fault, nothing's going to change, that kind of stuff. Mm. Until you start showing them, no, we don't have to wait for government. We could organize ourselves and this is what could happen. Instead of your one cow giving one liter, now we're going to, a thousand of us are going to give a thousand liters. And because now we have a thousand liters, those guys are going to pay more because we have consistent supply. Actually, we may not necessarily just give milk. We could also make cheese. Oh, we could make cheese. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. And before you know it, you give them all these other options, which they could not do. Um, previously, with one cow, you could not borrow money to invest in the cow. But with a thousand cows and all these hectares of land now, you can go to the bank and say, we need equipment. Oh, now the farmers are beginning to... So it is trying to reorganize the, the farmers, getting them to sing from the same hymn sheet, opening their minds up to what is possible, and slowly but surely, from one community to another, begin to create this village ecosystem that is thinking commercially, 
that is thinking entrepreneurially, that is thinking positively about opportunities as opposed to the challenges in the environment. Yeah, um, so pretty much everything you said. Mm. And I, I, I attended this, the presentation. Yes. It wasn't the first of its kind, I'm told. No. Um, but for me, it was very interesting to see that you had a number of facilitators. So whether it was the teacher, you had a life coach, yeah. you had architects yes. who were architectural architects from the actual village. Yes. So there were the young people, the young graduates. Yes. And so they're going to be involved in designing this yeah. actual eco village. Yes. Eco villages are the thing for me. Agreed. <laughs> and especially on a continent like Africa, mm. um, I think it's so important that you create holistic structures yeah. that feed the people, but then also feeds the 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 business development and the economy side of things. Mm. And I felt like you guys are really very much tapping into that. Mm. Um, Please remind me of the name, Doctor Ngate Jize. Yes. Very interesting man. Yes. Uh, he's also the fin- minister of finance. Uh, not the minister, but he's quite high up there. High he up there. heads the competitiveness uh, department within the Ministry of Finance. Okay. So that's the department that champions enterprise entrepreneurship in the country. I see. So he is tuned in into what's happening within the entrepreneurship space. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, he's also a medical doctor. No, he's a PhD. His PhD is in ag- in agriculture, I think. Wow, I really didn't do my homework. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you remind me of this joke where someone was having a heart attack on the on the plane, and the 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 um, the air hostesses were wondering whether there's a doctor in the house, and someone put up his hand and said, "Quick, come! Oh, someone's a having a heart attack." <laughs> I said, "No, no, I'm just a PhD in engineering or something." <laughs> That's me, everyone. So, yeah, but uh, I think he's uh, an agricultural economist. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and that's why he's very passionate about agriculture and trees and things like that. I mm. think it's, it, it's informed by his background. Okay. And in terms of some of the, some of the content, the reason why I found him very interesting is mm. some of the content that he was teaching us in mm. the audience mm. Um he was very much talking about mindset. Correct. Mindset focus. He's very, he's very big on that. He, big on that. Mm. And I was so happy to see this type of information and context being provided to people like you would call the villagers. Yes. Um, and he mentioned things like having daily rituals. Yes. Uh, like I need to work on my rituals. Yes. Uh, as well. Uh, but rituals are huge because yeah. um, we're creatures of habits as human beings. Mm. And if you don't have an instilled sense of discipline, you kind of can come short in terms of yeah. executing whatever you hope to deliver. Correct. Um, and so this is a huge project that you guys hope to take on. Mm. Uh, I imagine it will take some years, maybe even decades or, yeah. or yeah. what? Yeah. It's... Um... <clears throat> To change the mindsets of uh, people in our villages mm. is not something that is very easy. No. Um, particularly because once they've left your sphere of influence, they go back to the environment, that they go back to their usual village environment, which dilutes what you will have done. So the strategy has to be some sustained um, bombardment of mindset doses of mindset you know like uh, maybe have meetings every now and again or just like you go to church every sunday have some kind of routine continuous 
And then hopefully, once you get a few champions who buy into that, they can also begin to influence other people around them. And you start with a small core group, and then you keep building a bigger circle, bigger circle, bigger circle around that. Okay. But you can't take on like the whole of Kabale. No. At one go. No. So part of the strategy now is to start with the low hanging fruits, as we call them, um, the circle, which is the um, savings and savings and what uh, cooperative something. So where the the villagers themselves who have formed this cooperative society of some kind. They meet together, they save their money together, and they can lend that money to each other. So start with that and try and give them value propositions around which they can see money, for instance, coming. But the strings around those value propositions are the mindset things that we're talking about. If we're meeting at 7 o'clock and you're not here, next next month we might kick you out of the group. You know, things like that. So. Mm have begin to instill this mindset. So it's going to happen, possibly at a slower pace than we envisage, but uh, the mindset of Dr. Ngatajize and some of us is that progress, however slow, is better than no progress at all. So True. we'll crack on regardless. True. Mm. And um, one of the things that I was so glad that, uh, that he was mentioning in this mindset yeah. reality is taking on what we call the abundance consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. And um, a huge believer in the abundance mindset. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, people f- very much are born into and fall in and get trapped in what I call lack consciousness, yes. poverty consciousness. Yes. And villages are one of those people. Mm. Um, how are you guys going to tackle, you know, implementing an abundance mindset into people who have not necessarily been bred this way the best person to answer this question really is dr ngatajiza himself okay <laughs> he is the biggest believer of, of this abundance. I, ha- I have an idea of what it is okay i practice it as much as i possibly can excellent but to say that i am in a position to get the local people to actually do it mm. or buy into it um even me, I was blown away by how he got the people in the village to actually engage and tune into such mindset, yes. you know, such such concepts uh, at a philosophical level. Because our people don't in the villages, with all due respect, the vast majority of them don't <laughs> engage at a, such a philosophical level. Uh, this this is the truth, um, because they are, they are bogged down by the the immediate. You know, I want food now. Sure. Uh, don't tell me about abundance when I don't have any food on my table true, true, true. you know so t- t- when you tell them that they'll be saying that this guy is just you know bragging because he has money he's, obviously he has a lot of money he's, he's in abundance mm. but here we are starving and he's telling us to have this mindset of abundance and that the food will drop from nowhere you know they'll laugh at you because they don't think like that no, of course. so for doctors have been able to get them to flow with this abundance um, demonstrates that this can work mm-hmm. and that if they're the right people, if there's anyone who can make it work, <clears throat> it is people, you know, the stewardship of people like Dr. Ngatajize can actually make it happen. Um, but further down the line, the Leadership Academy may have to engage professional trainers uh, to deliver such content because I'm sure there are some techniques that we're not aware of that could appeal to these uh, people within our villages um 
because you could believe in something, but you may not necessarily be the best person to teach it. True. As I will tell you hand on heart, that this abundance, much as I believe into it, I don't think I'm the best person to teach it. Okay, and so okay, so for people who are not maybe um, familiar with this mm. reality, what is abundance consciousness to mm. you? It is the fact that the universe, you can call it God, you can call it whatever, has certain rules and laws of nature. It provides whatever you ask of it. Unfortunately, most people go to ask of the universe with the mindset that does not instruct the universe to give them something because they don't believe that that's going to happen. So, case in point, and I've seen this happen. You know, like you get into the car, you're going to work, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck with traffic jam, blah, blah. Before you know it, actually, traffic jam happens and you get stuck. Like you're going to take one road as opposed to the other. You're like, ah, last time I took this road, something bad happened. Uh, guess what happens when you head into that direction? These things are not coincidental. No. There is a bigger, powerful energy source out there. And it leaves... Your, your mind, doctor says, your mind is... Um, is a broadcasting and receiving um, platform of some sort. Um, so you can broadcast whatever you want the universe to give you. So if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, there's no doubt that I've been broadcasting to the universe my passion for enterprise and entrepreneurship. It should not be surprising when people meet me and open the doors because they know who I am. I've been talking about this. They can relate. They know they are, my engagements are authentic because sure. I've been telling the universe and other people will align. The universe will align those opportunities. The people, the events, the circumstances, uh-huh. everything. Yeah. Everything, the universe will make it happen. Exactly. When you say it to certain people, they'll be like, uh, unless they've experienced it, <laughs> they won't yeah. believe. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and the yeah, opposite yeah. is also true. Yeah. When you have this negative mindset like, uh, those guys are just corrupt. That's why they are rich. Uh, you know, I'll just slave away. Uh, that mindset is a dangerous mindset. It's very dangerous. But you can, over time, particularly if you practice it at a smaller level and you begin to see changes, you begin to see things happen. You know, simple things like today's going to be a good day. You know, you wake up in the morning and you switch on. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to take a shower, have a nice cup of coffee. Just that mindset alone you begin to tune into a different zone. So that even when certain things happen, I think one of our panelists was saying the other day, like, it's, it's not a problem. It's not even a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a small challenge. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Con- so. This is context for Ugandans. Aha, a challenge. A challenge is a like challenge. a small challenge. A small challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but two people will face the same challenge. One will say, ah, I'm stuffed. You know, this is just too much. Another one will be like, oh, we just had a small hiccup. But we're looking at those two exactly, mindsets are completely yeah. different. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And so each mindset will, uh, in a way, manifest for you Correct. that which aligns with that almost frequency. Yes. So I, I, I'm all over this stuff. Good. And um, I'm, I, you're almost speaking as someone who also believes that we create our realities. Yeah. 
and getting people to believe that or even expressing that to someone who hasn't heard that for the first time mm. so we're speaking specifically to africans in africa now yeah yeah um that is like you said a huge thing it's a huge a huge a huge move but if we want to create the africa that we want to see the mm. society the culture the mindset that we want to see we yeah. want to thrive off the land um you somehow have to embed these understandings yes and Everyone in Africa has to believe that, yes, it's possible that Africa can actually emerge mm. and claim its rightful place. Mm. But not everyone will be emerging at the same time. So no. it starts at an individual level, at a family level, at a group level, at a village level, at a national level. I'll give you an idea. If you go to Rwanda, if you hear their president speaking, there is no doubt that this little country that they are focused and determined to head into this direction. They are building the country in the way they want it. They, you know, and you can see this on the streets, yes. clean streets. Yeah. You can see this in uh, their branding. The, you know, you know they support like Arsenal football club. Visit. <laughs> Small country, people would say, you don't have that money, you can't afford it. They're like, no, we can afford. Yeah. It's that mindset yeah. that I'm talking about. Yeah. And when you begin to, when you're in that zone, the universe opens up other things for you. Yeah. It, things begin to happen. But I, I do take the point that it's uh, a challenge for uh, someone in the village who has no food to try and tell them this abundance thing. Mm -hmm. But there are ways around it. There must be techniques. Yeah. Mm. And also, I also believe that you teach by example. Mm. So when you start walking in such a way, yes. you start emanating that energy. Yes. And your life will be an example of yeah. what you're talking about, of yeah. what you, you, you seem to be preaching. Yeah. And slowly by slowly, you know, people start to, you know, want to taste a bit of what you have. Mm. What's that flavor you've got mm. going on? I agree. Um, and so it spreads. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. But it, it eventually gets there. Mm. But because that's how things like religion work. It's all about faith. You speak to God and say, this is your prayer, essentially. You're saying, God, I want this to happen. But the Bible is very clear that you have to believe. Mm. This is the mindset that we're talking about. So maybe the Christians will call it faith and, and, and God and things like that. We are calling it maybe something different. But the rules are the same. We are probably tuning into the same frequencies. Sure. Because if you go to pray, not believing that miracles are going to happen, the miracle won't happen. Mm. So you have to believe. And so by believing, um, you're basically putting out statements that you know are going to manifest. Yes. And so you have to almost see yourself as a creator. Very good. You have to work at it though. You're, yes. Yes, yes. Definitely. I can tell you I've had, I can look back like, have you ever been like driving a car, you know, my little car, I remember driving my little car, but in my mind, it was like, I was just dreaming of myself driving like this Mercedes-Benz and <laughs> deja vu happened about uh, one and a half years ago. I was driving on this road. I remember very clearly about like five years ago, I was driving on that same road with this mind. In my mind, I was driving a Mercedes. I was imagining, it. I was creating this world. I remember driving through that road about one or two years ago mm. and the pin dropped. I remember having this moment. Oh, wow, wow, wow. People think, ah, this guy, you know, but it, these things happen. They do. No, they do. I remember 
um, before my mum passed on, I remember my mum coming to visit us. I, you know, I was like in, in the UK in my mind, I was imagining maybe if my mother comes to visit this once, and she eventually came to visit, you know, you have to. So visualization. Yes. Visualization, imagination. Yes. Uh -huh. You okay. still have to do some work. Definitely. You have to make a visa application. But if in your mind your mom is never going to make it to London, then she won't make it to London. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you won't even make the application. Right. And if you do make the application, they probably won't give you the visa. So you're saying you sign up for what you believe in? You focus your mind on what you want to happen. You have to believe. You have to immerse yourself. You have to see yourself living that example. Yeah. If you're saying, I want to see myself living in a nice bungalow, driving a nice Mercedes, but you have to be able to see that. If you can't see it, it won't work. It, it can't happen. So, and this is not being illusional or deluded. No, 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 no not at all. But, um, and that's why some dreams, um, most of the guys that have made it, whether it's the, the, the athletes or superstars. Even the athletes. Yes. They Even have the Usain Bolts of the yes, world. Yes, they yeah. have. When they were little, they must have sat down and they could see themselves lifting that gold medal. Definitely. You ask them. Definitely, definitely. You have to be able to, and once you can see it, you, the universe will keep pulling you in. The more you see it, it becomes clearer. The more you work in the gym, it becomes clearer. You know. Absolutely. Mm. Anyways, I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. You know, someone like you is on this page, on yeah. this frequency, and executing this information through your work, mm. through who you are online and everything. One thing I did forget to ask you because yeah. I got you know so excited. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about the investment culture. So this is track track backing, you know, yeah. backtracking. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that we don't have the investment culture in Uganda, but mm. I I imagine this is also not just unique to Uganda across the continent. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, where in the UK we have an abundance of VCs, angel investment. Yeah. Um. Okay, we're starting to get drops of grant applic grant uh grants from the government. It's yeah. not the same as having you know, an angel investor yeah, in, your, yeah. in your business. Yeah. Part of that has to do with the type of entrepreneurship. Because in the West, you typically have... Um, it's not entrepreneurship out of the necessity. It's opportunity-driven entrepreneurship. Right. So you present an opportunity and people who have the money, they are looking for such opportunities. Okay. So it's opportunity type of entrepreneurship. Whereas back here, it's necessity. Okay. So when you don't have money to eat and you want to sell bananas... It's hard for you to convince another guy to give you 10,000 because you don't have a, an actual business proposition. You're just trying to survive. Okay. So, but that's beginning to change. There's lots of uh, saving schemes happening called circles where local people are pulling capital together. So the saving culture is actually changing. I've been blown away. This, this is all caught up in the last uh, year or two. I see. Where there's lots of people now, different groups of people saving money together. And then the rent giving it out to each other yeah. at rates that are lower than the commercial banks. Because the commercial banks here, their rates are ridiculous. They are like, you know, 20%. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, compare that in the UK to like 6%. So the, 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 when you get the circles, people who have collected money, it could be a family, but now they're giving the money to you at, let's say, 10%, then your business has a chance of surviving because you're not choked by these loans. So but if we're, if we're talking... 
startup scene for example if we're if we're talking a business that's here to in- disrupt a certain mm. industry like for example center yes center tech yes so this is a fintech company founded by in uganda yes by ugandans and um I imagine there's a level of investment that's gone in there. Yes. But they did mention they have some grants from the government. Yes. But if we have a business, a company like Sente uh, Tech, mm. um, there are investors, there are there are millionaires in Uganda. We have yeah. really, not just in Uganda, across yeah. Africa, yeah. Uh, investors who are a bit skeptical mm. of businesses that they haven't seen take off. Yeah. What, what do you say to those guys? To take a punt. Okay. To... Because, and I understand where they're coming from. These ideas of someone starting a business, you know, it's like, uh, it's called Fugazi or something. It's like, there's a business, it's like an app, it lives there. It's hard to explain some of these concepts to traditional businessmen here. Because the traditional businessmen are used to products. Uh, you move your beans from Kabale, you bring them to Kampala, you get paid. Mm. Uh, you open up a restaurant, you cook food, people come eat, you get paid. Mm. So to say that there is a mobile phone app that is uh, doing... Uh, um, it's, it's, it, those concepts are very hard. But now they are beginning to see other people, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg and all these others in the West making lots of money by investing in these startups. So... The likes of center that you're talking about are not necessarily the type of entrepreneurship. They're opportunity-based entrepreneurship. Okay. And there will be one or two rich people out there who, if you do your presentation very well, they will see the opportunity, particularly in terms of the returns on capital invested, uh, particularly also if the government, uh, in terms of policy, maybe gives exemptions for, let's say, capital gains tax for any investments in startups of that type. You'd rather pack your money in such a startup because you won't pay any tax as opposed to putting it in beans, which might, ha- you know, I don't know. Mm. But I'm beginning to see changes. Okay. Yeah, lots of people are beginning, even uh, at a smaller level, individuals who would normally not put money in startups. It's beginning to happen. I see. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis. My pleasure. Thanks you... for having me. <laughs> no problem. Mm. So glad to have you on here. Mm. Do you have any remaining words, anything you'd like to put out there for anyone? Who you think you know is tailored to your words, mm. your messages? Short of saying that they should have a positive mindset. Okay. Uh, this idea of abundance. Sure. Um, I would encourage people to follow your passion. Be skilled around your passion, and then execute. Just go and do it. If it means coming back to Africa, which is the discussion we had earlier, find what your passion is about. Make sure you're skilled in it and come and do it. Um, don't be put off by challenges on the African continent. Most often than not, those are actually opportunities. And one, two, three years down the line, you will look back and, and be happier. But follow whatever, whatever your, your heart sends you. Just do it. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Perfect way to end there. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. There we go, people. I hope you really enjoyed that one alongside the evening crickets that featured in the background too. I certainly did, but also loved that Dennis, like many other passionate African entrepreneurs, loves the work he does and is also paving way 
and setting the foundations for other current and emerging entrepreneurs to bring to life their own light through their businesses. In a country with an 87% rate of youth unemployment and a spirit for business, I would only hope that this rather sparks opportunity for inspiration and creativity in those of you invested in manifesting a greater vision for Africa. If you'd like to connect with Dennis himself, you may find his contacts in the episode notes where I'll attach his social handles. Otherwise, guys and gals, that's it from me. Have a good one and peace out.